definitely recording now. It says recording. It's just said Victor Melger is starting record. Do you see that? I don't believe it. Don't <laughs> believe it. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, here we go again. <laughs> Fellow Grubs, Mishable Sods and your Noel Edmonds fans, welcome to One Foot in the Podcast with your host, Tom. I'm joined by fellow moaner Darren for this week's episode, just to pull apart and unnecessarily dissect and observe episode two of series three, Dreamland, which aired 9th of February 1992. This is the second time I'm recording this intro because I just did this a moment ago and did press record, so it's a good start. Um, but welcome, Darren. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Darren has uh, previously called in on an older podcast I used to help produce, so I we know of each other a little bit, because, uh, yeah, we used, I used to do the Jolly Boys podcast, and I might have mentioned before, Fools and Horses fans out there would know, well, some of you would know, and Darren called in before, which is really nice to have him on again. Uh, like I said, this time a totally different sitcom, different feels. So, Darren, do you remember a time when you first got into One Foot in the Grave and your earliest memories. What makes it stand out from all the rest? Yeah, I think um, it was probably early 90s. I think it was probably about nine or ten when I first saw it. Um, and it always it always seemed to stand out from other sort of sitcoms because I think it's got quite a sort of darker element than other, yeah. other sort of programs. Like we were saying, a big fan of Only Fools and Horses. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's a bit different to that. It's sort of, as I said, darker humour. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think the first episode I probably saw was um, Victor barbecuing the, the tortoise yeah. in the back garden, which I remember watching as a kid and thinking, this is, you know, this is quite dark. It's quite brave, <laughs> it's quite brave isn't it, a runway to do something like that, yeah. Yeah, well, I think they had, um, well, most episodes have, have got sort of an animal in them or reference to an animal. Yeah, bring up quite um, a lot on this podcast. There's always an animal death related thing, whether you see it or hear about an animal. It's sort of yeah, that's it, and then... Yeah, that's that's true. And I think, um, I, I didn't know it at the time, I think it was too young, but I was having a sort of read about it and it was saying that at the time there was a lot of complaints about um, using animals. And I think I've seen an interview with Annette Crosby yeah. um, and she said she used to get the script for uh, One Foot and she used to dread if there was an animal involved because <laughs> she'd get death threats. It's just crazy because yeah. <laughs> I, I can't even think why, even in the early 90s, they must have known their props. Unless, okay, you could say it's a bit distasteful, but that's, that's an opinion, but it's just crazy to go that far. Think of the stuff that people say now in comedies. Well, you know, in the know, last 10 different. years, it's crazy. I okay. think it's a compliment to sort of how good, you know, the writing and the acting was to show that people, I don't know if people generally believed he was barbecuing a tortoise or... Well, this uh, is it. They, there's never any malice. I mean, even every, like I said, every pet or animal mentioned or you see is... Mm-hmm will die or has died, including a dog, which was a stuffed dog, Nippy. Is that Nippy? <laughs> bloody Nippy. Man. I know, I love it. Doesn't look bloody Nippy to me. Yeah, it's just, that's a, it's quite funny. I mean, the last episode I recorded, Monday morning would be fine with Simon, did mention yeah. about the fact that he was mistaken for an old schoolmate, someone called Steve, the person he was talking to, this old school friend, he was saying um, that he found Victor Manager a bit of a bastard. Partly because yeah. he he lent him his hamster, well not lent him his hamster. He looked after the hamster for him when he went on holiday, 
and yeah. Victor had um, obviously not looked after correctly properly and died. I think he's going to need to crossbred it with a lemming. Yeah, which I definitely <laughs> a Python-y type, like homage to Dead Parrot, it feels like, the way that bit right yeah well, we we review it anyway and that's coming up by the time you listen to this it's already out but yeah um yeah dead animal, dead animal themes i wonder why one foot in the grave but all the animals have got both feet or all four feet so yeah yeah one step further yeah. how does one foot in the grave rank for you in in your personal all-time favorites uh for me it's definitely in the top i'd say the top five definitely in mm. in that um, it depends, sort of, sort of what else I'm watching at the time, I suppose, because I've got like other sitcoms. Like I, I, I love Steptoe and Son. Yeah. Um, obviously, Only Fools. Yeah. Um, and Blackadder. Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing. And Bottom. Big fan of Bottom. You pretty much got the same taste as me. Yeah. I think some of them sort of come in and out of fashion, though, don't they? You sort of every yes. sort of five, five, ten years, they seem to be more relevant. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would love. Netflix to put one foot in the grave up. You can get on Britbox, but I don't think Britbox is going to be as big. Not for yeah. many years. Um, and the rate they're taking down comedies at the moment, mm. they're not going to have much material left, are they? But and Netflix aren't any better, I suppose. But it would be good to have one foot in the grave on there so more people discover it. I wonder, I wonder if it's going to be similar to Only Fools where they, they edit it. So, but like the you know the animal deaths or you know it's just crazy. Man. Yeah, like I said, like, I, thing. I try and keep this uh, podcast politics free. So I, I really bite my tongue. And if they was to edit out certain things from one foot the grave, and say one foot the podcast, one foot the grave, like the turtle dying, that's like the main plot. It's crazy. Yeah. Like I guess they could just not show the bit where Victor's burning the grass. We have put her in the living tombs that particular yeah. episode with the turtle i guess they can just not show that bit but i don't know i just don't it's such a it huge takes it away, I think, because there's um i can't remember the name of the episode but i watched it the other day for the first time for about 15 years and i saw bits in it that apparently at the time they cut out because of complaints it was the one where victor goes to um the yeah, uh, old folks home uh, there's a nursing home. And oh, he hearts, hearts of Darkness. Yeah, that's that's it, yeah. Uh, that's been one of most people's favourite episodes. I think IMDb give it a nine out of ten. But there's two um, scenes in that that I'd never actually seen because they'd never shown it on on telly. But there's two scenes with the um, you know the staff at the home are, are actually kicking and punching the elderly uh-huh. gentleman. And I, I'd never seen it until I, I watched it the other day, and it was quite. I mean, you sort of understand why Victor, you know was really sort of hurt by them and, and why he ended up putting their feet in the cement in the scarecrow in the, in the well, field. I, I guess if uh, anyone needed convincing that bit to the good guy, that's the episode to show them, isn't it? Because yeah, I don't definitely. think anyone thinks he's nah, horrible, bad. It's just they might think, oh, he's just moaning for nothing. Yeah, he's not. It's hard to like him sometimes. Away. <laughs> that's <laughs> what some, some, new, some newer viewers might say that potentially. But mm. um, if you look at Again, another episode I can see them editing is the pit and the pendulum. You know when he gets buried underground, and Daniel yeah. Peacock stars as like his gardener, and he's shown yeah. off to some schoolgirls. You know, it's just <laughs> a bit dodging. I think even then, that's surely a little bit. Yeah, it's a touch you tree about that. But... It is. It's definitely operational. I don't, operation know. I don't know if you'll have to edit edit that bit, mate. But <laughs> it's a, it's a oh, bit. A, I don't. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But I tell you what, let's let's dive straight into. 
uh, episode two of series three, Dreamland. Okay, so we're opening up in a like a little classic tea room coffee shop with Mrs. Warboys and what we assume are two friends of hers. Gossip City, isn't it? Because she's uh, eager to tell them a, a story of, of sorts about her friends, Victor and, Victor and Margaret. It's a very miserable grey day outside. There's thunderstorms and we've got like this, a bit of reverb on Dory Mantle's voice. It's a bit echoey because it's quite spooky, eerie music being played and, and she wants mm. to talk to them about things that have been going on lately. Mrs. Meldrew swore me to complete secrecy over the entire episode. I mean, there are some things too personal and too upsetting to be just blethered all round the houses as idle gossip. Well, as far as anyone could tell, the roots of it all started one morning last June. A few of us were round having a bit of a chinwag over coffee, and somehow or other, the subject had drifted onto weird dreams and nightmares. Immediately, in a moment, we will we'll sort of fade into a, a flashback, if you like. Mm. Have you got any initial thoughts on that opening scene? With because it's for once we've just got Mrs. Warboy. It's like straight straight in, which is nice. Yeah. So I don't think yeah, she yeah. appeared in the last episode. Nor did any of the neighbours, so it's just, it's nice to have her back, I suppose. It's, it's good, it sets up a later joke, um, yeah. but I, I love Mrs. Warboys as a character. I mean, she, yeah. just from that conversation, you, you can see, a, you know, everything you need to know about her, really. You know, two, are they close friends that she's gossiping with, you know? Yeah, just, just a couple of, I don't want to say old biddies, but they, they, they're coming <laughs> across like that, aren't they? Um, yeah. I'd say one of these old ladies, I'll say old, they... I won't use the word of, but one of these friends in the, she's wearing a blue outfit. Mm. Can't remember her, the actress's name, but she looks like, you a dad's army fan? I am, yeah. Do you remember an episode where Mr. Mannerin had a bit of a, I think it was the episode Mum's Army. There was a lady, I can't remember her name, not Elizabeth, that's his wife, but there was, there was a lady played Um, by Carmen Silvera. I think her name was Fiona. This lady here to me looks like that. Actress, it's not, but it, when I was watching this back, I had to just cross reference it with IMDb. To me, it looks like an old because it's sort of she looks she's she was obviously in it in the early 70s, and this is like yeah. 20 years later, and she does look 20 years older. If it, if it was a real person, in my view, massively uh, digressing here, but we don't know. No, in, essentially, we don't know who these two ladies are apart from they're just with Mrs. Warboys having a chat over a cup of tea and a piece of cake. It's quite a quaint set, you know, they've got a chandelier, you've got quite an old-fashioned, you know, the netting, and then next yeah. to it, the visa symbol. Yes, that's it's right. Quite, it's quite yeah. quaint. It is quite quaint. I don't know if you really get many coffee shops, tea rooms like that anymore. I think you probably do, to be fair. But, but yeah, so straight away, it's all about the eerie music, really, and the slight yeah, reverb yeah. on the voice. You get that quite a lot in the episodes, and they're sort of... I don't know if it's a sort of flute or, but the, you know, the it segues from one scene yes. to another. Draws you in, doesn't it? it yeah, draws you in, and it and we're it's, yeah, like I said, it it's, it's not it's a very short scene, and it? it's like a flashback to, to the next scene. So it's a flashback yeah. into the Maldrews living room, and we've got this time we've got Margaret and we've got Mrs. Warboys and two other friends that I didn't really recognise. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'd probably see them again. Uh, they're just there. I think they're all having a almost like a mother's meeting, aren't they? Just having a chin wag and stuff. But essentially, Margaret is reliving a dream that she gets. Like, 
every night or more of a nightmare. Well, it must be for this last month now. I keep waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. And it's always the same thing I've been dreaming. I'm locked in a prison cell, waiting to be hanged for battering to death a balding old man with white hair. <laughs> Go on. And, the, and then, at the last minute, they grant me a special reprieve on the grounds of justifiable homicide. <laughs> but the strange thing is, I don't want to leave the prison. I want to stay where I am. I kill him. I keep hanging on to the cell door, just clinging to the bars, kicking and screaming and yelling that I want to stay where I am. What does it mean? And again, it's eerie music. Same mm. music, it's more sort of... Bit Jonathan Creek. It's very Jonathan Creek, isn't it? Yeah. Which hasn't yet been written at this point, or probably might not be written by now, by that point, it's a few years off. But yeah, for any Creek fans, you'll know what we mean. Yeah, she's reliving uh, a nightmare. Margaret is um, waking up in a cold sweat mm -hmm. um, and that she's on trial, from what I remember, that um, she's actually murdered or strangled, I think it was, an elderly, balding man. With white um, hair. But right, yeah, right here, but right at the last minute, she gets off with justifiable homicide. <laughs> so it sort <laughs> of suggests this Victor. This is it, and it's... Clever how you can be drawn into this a bit dark scene, and then there's a bit of a laughter, and we're like, "Oh, she's having nightmares about her husband because she does." Typical one foot, really, and you know, they're making yes. a, a sort of joke about her strangling mm. her husband, <laughs> and it gets a laugh, isn't it? it gets, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, she's locked in a prison cell, and she's waiting to be hanged for battering to death. Like, yeah, an old, he said, a, um, a, a balding old man with white hair, and she just doesn't want to leave the prison clutches onto the to the bars and, and then yeah she wakes up in the cold and we actually see her like a flashback within a flashback almost isn't it she's in her bedroom at night with victor asleep and she wakes up saying i want to kill him twice but was quite really dark mm -hmm. and she yeah she just says she's holding onto the bars kicking and screaming and yelling and she wants to stay where she is and she says just what does this mean what does it mean and she doesn't know at all it's obviously something at the back of her, her mind because it's just a recurring nightmare. One of the things I noticed with that scene is, is normally whenever they do the bedroom ones, they always have the, the curtains open. And I always think that's yeah. odd, the fact that they sleep with the curtains open. I have noticed that, and I don't know, because it's, it's obviously all the studio. It's not as if it's a real house and they've got some natural no. things of street light. Sometimes they shut it, but not properly. But yeah, yeah. I love picking out these little details, yeah. But it, it kind of snaps out of it because... We're back to, so we had that flashback within the flashback of Margaret Tucker recounting her waking up from a nightmare and back into the living room with her friends all having a cup of tea. But the, the back door slams and they all sort of <laughs> sit up right because they've obviously been talking about Victor. She says to them, all they had to do was you know, pick up some shoes from the members. Um, and she obviously anticipates something's going to go wrong. Victor's introduction's great because he comes in with... Unbelievable! <laughs> which I talk, I talk about every episode, but I think the catchphrase I don't believe it is at this it's good as some of the other one-liners he uses. You know, what in the name of sanity, unbelievable. Margaret's, yeah, yeah. Margaret's got, it's just as funny. But yeah, he's quite a, quite a good entrant. I um, love the way he comes in with a brown paper bag as well. The fact that they've actually wrapped up the shoe for him, hmm. just in case. Yeah, it's, he comes in, he doesn't, he's not aware Margaret's got company, but straight away, 
he he's quite a gentleman and he and he's asked hello ladies <laughs> straight back <laughs> into the moaning moaning yeah two two who, i don't know who takes their shoes to be does he take them to be professionally cleaned or repaired or something i think yeah i think he just mentions the menders was it the mass is the men i think he's go to I, the menders and I still, I just don't know. Is it cobblers. shoes? Are they known as shoesmiths, cobblers? Yeah, I think it's shoe repairs, cobblers. They always do key cutting as well. Yeah, uh, Timpsons. I just don't know yeah. if they're a thing anymore. Like, but they obviously are. Timpsons it very much exists, but shoe repair, I don't know. Perhaps I think then, yeah, shoes are probably more expensive. I mean, now you could get a pair of shoes, you know, quite cheap. Yeah. But those yeah. days, I think you'd, especially man of Victor's age, you'd have two pairs of shoes for for life, really. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's probably true to be fair. Uh, yeah, so he's come out with one shoe. But the Mender said you can have fifty percent off. <laughs> I just yeah. And he goes on, he goes to peel he goes to the fruit bowl to uh, peel a banana and the and the ladies start yeah. giggling. And we don't really know why. They they've obviously been talking about his ways and he's a little bit taken aback by that. Um, Even like the way he just says like his, his delivery, like the way he says sorry. <laughs> it's just like, like that. Sorry, yeah. Say, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit intimidating because you've got yeah, your wife plus three other ladies of a similar age yeah. laughing about you, but um, they seem a bit quiet or shy, don't they? They probably I get the impression they don't know Victor that well, and yeah. hence the lack of conversation with them. They might know, they might. I think to probably the the outer the one the outer two. I don't think we ever see again. No, no, that's, that's true. That's very true. Again, so, it's like quite quite a sort of old. Not, not, I don't know, old-fashioned, but you don't see many people now with sort of china mugs and ah. cup and saucer. Um, is that is that something that... It looks like... It still looks quite a homely home. It is very 90s. Like I said, compared to their first house in Series 1, it's just yeah. quite modernised. And if I was went into someone's house now with... Not forgetting about the wallpaper for a minute, it wouldn't seem... It wouldn't seem ancient. No. So they're in a kitchen... Uh, Victor has done a bit of uh, shopping in his man bag. You didn't get that hideous Newell Edmonds sweater then, after all. It's, it's it's quite cool to have a man bag now. I see a lot of young lads wearing like a man bag across their body. He's got a traditional classic man bag, like a Roy, some Roy Cropper from Coronation Street. Which yeah, he carries I don't watch Corrie, but I know it. <laughs> he carries that by his side. That's right, he carries it by his side, and Victor's got the exact same thing. Margaret's having a little moan because... Well, he didn't get the right tights for her. He's put the bread at the bottom of the bag. The bread thing is, it's it's red, Renwick. Every little tiny bit of detail, Renwick, isn't it? It's like yeah, we've all put the bread at the bottom of the bag, and it comes out flat as a pancake. Yeah, she says I have to get the the bicycle pump to that now. Yeah, she's a little bit bemused that he picked up some thick blue stockings when she clearly asked for tights. She she sort of wants him to go back and replace yeah. them, and he he references that he doesn't want to go back. So the giggling girls at the till can laugh at him oh, again. I sympathise with that. I probably wouldn't have gone. Yeah. I, I sympathise. I could imagine why ladies' garments. <laughs> My missus just wouldn't ask me because she. I would get it wrong. It'd be very. I'd be. I'd very unlikely to get the right style, size, and everything. But at least he. At least he did it. To be fair to him. Again, this yeah. is where we're on his side. Like he. He tried, didn't he? Amongst yeah, he other did things, try, he yeah. got very. Very funny little line. She she pulls out a hammer from the bag. What's this for? What's it for? Picking my nose with. <laughs> what do you think it's for? Nice little sarcastic response. He happens a few times, doesn't it? He's so sarcastic, picking his nose with. And he, he, essentially, what he wants that hammer for? Do you, do you remember what he wants the hammer for? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a sort of running gag, and that Mr. Swaley next door just opens the gate, the defence panel on the latch, and just walks into the garden. But as Victor puts it, waltzes into our garden every five minutes. I think he's trampling the flowers. He and Arf, they are not, they're very passive about that. Like in real life, even if you were friendly with your neighbours, just the sheer audacity <laughs> of Mr. Swaley. He was a lovely, he's a lovely neighbour to have, but. He's very kooky. I, I, I think, because Mr. Sweeney is very prominent in this episode, I think Victor views Mr. Sweeney the, the same way Patrick views Victor. Because he always yeah, sees weird things at the wrong time, when it might yeah. make more sense in Mr. Sweeney's world. But you can't really excuse the whole fence thing. I just don't understand. No, that, I mean, you never just, you know... Unless you're like a family. If, mm. if you live next door, yeah, if you live next door to family or your best mate, that's something you consider. But oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think Mr. Swain even refers to it at one point. I think he says something like, oh, it's easier than walking around. And yeah, think, perhaps oh. it was Mr. old Mr. Gittins. They probably had that set up then. In fact, they probably, in fact, they did, didn't they? Because yeah. when Victor sunbathing in Series 2, got his ass cheeks out. Is he such yeah. <laughs> and he walks in, that's the first time he realises that he's got access points. There's another one, I think, where he, he sort of shouts, he goes, your butt's in a bit of a state, Mr. Meldrew. <laughs> and he starts spraying water into his water bath. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, that's typical of Mr. Swain, like the lines he comes out with, you know. He's, yeah, he, he comes out with Keeping your bowels open. My brother said, when I had my brother on for the guest interview, I had, I did a few, a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I all of them. It, yeah. Did, yeah, he said they could have their own, they could have a spin-off. Similar to Fools and Horses, well, they did, which voice in mind, but they, I think he, Renwick, I don't want to say Mr. Trick, but he could have had her, Mr. Swainy's own thing. Maybe yeah. with Patrick, but certainly with Mrs. Warboys, but yeah, oh, it's just brilliant. So Margaret wound up in this scene, which probably because she's got stuff going on in her head. We're all adults. I mean, you think that you just sort of move on from it in the day, but it could have got to that much that it's impacted on her mood. Victor's a little wound up because he's had to go to the shops and he's been sort of laughed at and Margaret no gratitude at all even though yeah you got the wrong item now you just take those straight back and change them I'm not going back to face all those giggly girlies on the till I look a complete idiot you are a complete idiot galloping up and down the hours like Ben-Hur slinging any old thing into the trolley you haven't got the brains you were born with sometimes oh right Thank you very much. Thank you, Margaret. And she's yeah. used a lot worse one-liners than that to Victor. She's been she's been far more abusive than that in the past. But Victor does take it quite personally, doesn't he? Like yeah, he well, a personal you, day, but you can see her annoyance building on it at this point. But it, it sets up a later, you know, it everything does, with David Renwick is is a reason, and he sets different things it's up. It's a good for, reason. It's a good reason, but if you're watching this live for the first time, you'd be like, yeah, her tone was definitely a little bit more sharp, but yeah. it's a surely face worse than that. But it is just, the way I, there's two sides to this. It's a po- this is a podcast for a reason where nerds like me will happily dissect every little bit. However, it is just a sitcom, so it's, it's a story to be told. If you think Margaret would, they have married about 30 years at this point. First, like you said, she probably shouldn't have sent him to get tights or stockings. So, yeah, you think she's been a bit harsh on him. But anyway, we fade back to Mrs. Warboys telling the story. For once, it's Margaret who's starting to get on Victor's nerves. All over nothing at all, the way it so often is. And as fate would have it, things would usually get steadily worse as the day wore on. 
and we've got that sort of jingly, eerie music back into the tea rooms. And she just, Mrs. Warboys states that they, obviously they're falling out over nothing, as is usually the case, but this time it's Margaret getting on Victor's nerves, um, which apparently is unheard of, really, in their, in their world. Mrs. Warboys says, you know, as fate would have it, things would get steadily worse as the day wore on. You think, what the hell could possibly happen? When I first, I probably remember when I first watched this in the 90s, you think, what could possibly happen, like? Is she going to attack him? Is, are they just going to, one of them going to die? use that hammer? <laughs> well, yeah, the hammer is, yeah. it seems like a prominent prop at that point, isn't it? Because she's already suggested, like in the dream, she already said about, um, you know, justifiable homicide. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not trial, so. Yeah. 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 You wonder. Yeah, it's every little detail with Renwick, isn't it? Mm. We're back in, it's the same day, in Victor's garden, and he's making good use of the hammer. He's hammering the kind of the final nails just to block off uh, the entrance that Mr. Swaney likes to make. And brilliantly, he just I love the double take. The double take always works in most comedies. Victor's absolutely bewildered. He's he's just moved it further now. Mr. Swaney, bless him, thought he was doing him a favour, so he didn't walk across all his pansies. Um, but Mrs. Reddy is round just to hand out a leaflet about some fate, an annual fate that they're having. Yeah. Uh, he's always trying to rope him into something, and he? he's always trying to get him to, to donate or sponsor him. Or yeah, it's basically. I wonder if Mr. Sweeney would have was supposed to be a permanent fixture in one book because he did appear in series one, didn't he? As just like a, a do-gooder local guy coming around just asking for help for the homeless. Action but, to the elderly and that action, sort of thing. Well remembered, yeah. A great move by Renwick to include him. But yeah, he's got a annual fate coming up. It's obviously a char- charity event. Well, I like, you know, when he when he uh, said I when he entered and he goes, I, I thought I'd move the, the entrance further down so I don't step all over your pansies. Victor's response. How extremely considerate of you. He doesn't pick up on the sarcasm, does he really? He just he does, of, that's what I mean, he's so literal and he's just everything he says like these things, yeah. Later on in the episode, like referring to getting pigeons, you know, if if your neighbour told you they were going to get pigeons, you know, there's only one thing you'd think of. Yes, that's right. Well, when he's when he's handing over the the, the leaflet, he says we've got all our favourites: Miss Mrs. Giddy's homemade spam, Mr. Dobkin's stall of neo-fascist insignia. I love um, that line. It's a great line, isn't it? It's so bloody weird. Like, yeah, it's I know. Just it, the norm. Actually, later on, when you actually it cuts to the the fate, yeah, is is a is a brief moment where you actually see Mr. Dobkin's stall of neo-fascist insignia. Yes, it's very very yeah, very subtle, but, isn't it? Again, I don't think you could do that now. Have a massive swastika draped over a, <laughs> a trestle table. No, no, but the bit I love about that as well is as he's um he says Mr. Dobkin's neo-fascist and stick insignia and then you can't quite hear it because of the can laughter but he, he says it's all in a good cause all in a good cause yeah but well, i guess if he's raising money from it if it's from nazism then he sees it's a good thing but action for elderly well yeah i think he's just like yeah as long as i'm raising money for a good cause it doesn't really mind where it comes from i think if hitler walked in he was alive and he walked into mr Sweeney's back garden he'd probably greet him with a cup of tea and yeah. Just treat him like as anyone as, else. As long as he bought a raffle ticket, I think he'd be exactly. all right. Yeah, put put charity first and all that. Apparently, there's going to be a celebrity female, saucy female from a coffee commercial, and she's done a few things. I wonder who they, they meant at the time. I think I've actually tracked it down there at the time. I don't know if you remember, there was an, an S Cafe Gold advert, um, and it was with Anthony Head and Sharon Morn. Um, I can't remember that. 
Sharon Moore, no, I had to sort of do a quick Google search, but mm. I mean, she's 70 years of age now, but at the time, that would have, that would be who they're referring to. Yeah, in her early 40s, so she'd have been just past her prime back in 92 yeah. in that world. Yeah. yeah, Mr. 20 says about the very glamorous lady, I believe, and yeah. that, that's who they're, it must be that, who they're referring yeah. to, but it was, oh, it was Anthony Head as well. Yeah, Anthony Head of, um, who was in Drunken Creek, as Adam Klaus in series one. Yeah, that's true, yeah. The best decision Renwick ever made was change the actor for that, I think. So that's that's like a cherry on the ice of the cake at the fates so of just to entice Victor in. He doesn't seem that bothered. But apparently she's selling kisses at 50p a time. He's, yeah, so you mentioned pigeons. Mr. Sweeney, he exits the scene, but he said he's got a delivery of pigeons. I, when I first watched it, I thought, is he racing them? Is he just keeping yeah. them? What's he, what's he doing with pigeons? It's not very clear, is it? Are, are we no. supposed to assume something, or is it just very... I think it's a first thought moment. Yeah, people would think he's that he's you know he's going to get a you know a basket full of pigeons, either release yeah. them or keep them in the garden. Yeah, or do something for do something with them where money would be raised for charity anyway. No, I'm just trying to pause on a bit with the leaflet to see if you can see anything, but it, it does actually say annual fate, but I can't quite yeah. see the date on it. So yeah, oh, it's well, a good attention to detail because I thought it would have just been a blank yes. blank piece of paper. Okay, so we're now at Mr. Swaney's house. I think this might be for the first time we see Mr. Swaney. In his home, obviously we saw him in no we we in series two uh, in Luton Airport on the screen we do see him in his hallway don't we when Victor yeah. is in the wrong house but this is like the first time we see is like inside his living room because obviously there was a party and stuff and it wasn't his but it's it feels like it's the f first proper time where we're seeing yeah. it in all its glory and they're playing Scrabble uh, but that's yeah. a frequent occurrence but Victor Margaret and Mr Sweeney. Quite sweet, really, because they're keeping him company, obviously. And Victor and yeah. Margaret are probably sick of each other's company, so they probably don't mind. But we actually only see Margaret and Mr. Sweeney. Victor is using the Kazi. We hear the flush go. What, what's a great line that comes out now, doesn't it? Coincidentally, oh, Mr. Meldrew, I meant to warn you, don't use the white hand towel in there. I've got a contagious skin disease that erupts all down the backs of the arms and legs. <laughs> and it's not a lot of fun, unfortunately. Victor walks with his hands sprawled out like Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> <laughs> just... I love the fact that he's also Mr. when he's touching Margaret's hand, putting the, the scramble toss back into the bag, and she sort of right. retreat. Yeah, I, I didn't notice that. But again, yeah. if you've got a contagious skin disease, you think you sort of keep away from people's hands. But again, he's just so literal, and he did he make a point. Sort of think. He made a point in telling Victor, like, oh. Don't use the towel. If I was Victor, I'd be heading straight back in there to wash my hands and then just wipe your hands on your, your trousers, wouldn't you? Yeah. Especially but, these uh, days, you know, with COVID and anti back then. You've used the C word. I can't believe you used the C word on it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think I but I know what you mean. Actually, I have brought it up many times. Um, in last episode, there was when they were burgled, uh, Margaret mentioned disinfecting the whole house. I was thinking, yeah, that sounds familiar for a lot of people yeah. right now. Disinfectant. Just anything disinfectant. The way so, Victor points to his watch as well. Yeah. He sort of stretches his hand out. <laughs> stretches his hands, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's essentially saying, we better go, you know, it's, it's quite late. One of the, this for me, funniest moment of the episode, because it's so weird and bizarre, and very Mr. Sweeney, very one foot in the grave. We never hear from his mother, do we? This is the closest we'll get to, hit, yeah. to hearing, seeing them communicate properly. 
I say properly, just communicate. Anyone fancy a game of charades at all? Oh, well, uh, to be honest, I think it's time we are getting back. Uh, thanks for the save. It's nearly quarter past. Oh, shush. Uh, um, just a minute, if you would, please. I think Mother's woken up by the sound of things. I think she wants something. Uh, uh. <laughs> that was two clumps with her walking stick, two rings on the bell, two hoots on the horn and one whistle. Right, where's the code book? She's obviously got, like, a fake duck noise thing, or I don't know what the, the terminology is. Yeah. I wonder if she just can't, do you think, actually quite dark, I never thought about this, maybe do you think she's had a stroke and she can't talk? I, yeah, I think, like I was thinking with the house, I'd love to know the backstory to that, because it's obvious his mum has designed that, with the doilies and things in there. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder what the story was, you know, with his father, because he's, he's got a bit of a Norman Bates vibe, isn't he? That's exactly Sweeney. what I was going to say, it's like psycho, isn't it? Like his mum, yeah. is he, so is I he think really his mum? <laughs> It's, yeah. it's another episode, I can't remember what it was, but Victor and Mr. Swain are in the garden yeah. and he's looking up at the bedroom window and he's going, Mr. Meldry says, thank you very much, Mother. And there's no one there and he's sort of looking up thinking... I love that. I just, so, it's so... The funniest thing about that was two things. The fact that he, Mr. Swainy always talked on behalf of Victor or Margaret. It's like, oh, he says, thank you very much. They haven't, they haven't said anything. No. And second of all, the look on their face, it's so well acted out because that is the look you give. You keep thinking, what the hell? And Victor's brilliant. He doesn't hide anything, does he? He doesn't hide, <laughs> you know, he, you know, you know what he's thinking. With his face, Wilson's he got that type of face. It just works really, really well. And this is the same. Help, I admit, yeah, so he thinks his mum's calling out, help, I'm being attacked by two masked gunmen with blunt objects. Um, <laughs> but he, re he realised he, he, he read, that he'd heard it wrong and it's, Probably, please bring me up a digestive biscuit. I like the um, fact that those those two commands are so similar. You know, a digestive yeah. biscuit or being held up by yeah. with blunt objects. You think they put and the textbook they've got. Yeah. You know, the dictionary. You think they put those two things a bit further away from each other, but. Yeah. Is it like an SOS book with different? Yeah, he gets like an old notebook out and then he starts he, thumbing through it. And... He's like a scout. I wrote that when I watched it. I, said, I watched this back. I thought he's just like a, like a classic scout leader, isn't he? He's just very. Really? Yeah, that's true. He likes everything. Everything presented to him as like a little challenge or something. Something he, he whatever he faces, he's always positive with it. He's so imagine him with shorts and badges on you and the just, sash. You can just imagine it, can't you? Um, yeah. Before they before they leave, he does offer up a cooked pigeon. So it turns out he <laughs> ordered these pigeons to eat. Um, I love that that line. They're quite nice, cold. I've never had pigeon. Have you? No, it's quite not far from where I live. It's quite popular. Right. Um, I don't think I can name where, but yeah, it is quite a popular dish. It's, it's seen as quite upmarket, but I I mean I could, wouldn't eat a pigeon. Uh, uh. you are but don't aggravate it it probably just needs a poultice i'll go and put a flannel in the sandwich toaster <laughs> um there's a final call from his mum and what i like about this final beat beat smack is a loud smash at the end and just as victor and margaret are leaving they sort of look back a little bit perplexed i'll put a flannel in the sandwich toaster <laughs> does he does it does that mean Brilliant. she wants a warm blanket to cover up a certain boil or a, so she's got like a wound or, or a bed sore. And yeah, again, that's wants. quite dark as well, isn't it? So she's obviously got, 
you know, she's in need of a hot poultice. So, like you said, it's some sort of boil or injury. Or I just thought sore. it was a random, a random which thing of the most peculiar response possible. But it Don't could literally it. be. I mean, put a flannel on the sandwich toaster. Not exactly safe, <laughs> is it? But there you go. So he's obviously that, done that a few times. Yeah, and also it's, it's very key to know that Margaret and Victor, I think mostly Margaret, politely offered a return invite. Let's play again another time. Oh, well, it's uh, been a treat having you, and we must do it again soon. Yes, we will. You come to us, it'll be fun. Oh, thanks, yeah, that, that would be nice. Yeah. Oh, did we also mention that they absolutely thrashed Victor at Scrum? Yeah, I love the, the scores. Victor was on 12, and they, I think Margaret and Mr. Swain, he was on about 800. And then it's Mr. Meldrew, 12. Yeah. yeah. Again, it, like he refers to him as Mr. Meldrew as well. Yeah, there's that respect thing. I've spoken about this before. Like Mr. Meldrew, Mrs. Wallboys, they've got this. Um, I don't know. It's hard to get with, with Mr. Swain. He might be a scout, scout's honour type thing. I'll ref, I won't refer to you by Christian name. It'll be because he, he doesn't call Margaret Margaret, does he? She's Mrs. Meldrew. It's Meldrew. So uh, every everyone in Mr. Swain's life is. Mr. or Mrs. Something because he does refer to people at the fate or in the charity, doesn't he? So it might just... even it's it's not mum, it's mother. Yeah. Does he yeah. ever call her mum? I'm not sure. Wow. I haven't picked up. I he think never calls her mum. It's, it's very that, Norman. That doesn't Bates. help with the Norman Bates vibe. It it's prob- that is definitely done on purpose, I think. For sure. Yeah. The key thing to hear is, like I said, they they've invited Mr. Swaney to have a game another time. Yeah, you must come around. We'll we'll host next time. The very next scene. It is the Meldrews' living room in the evening. We're, we're led to believe it's a later date. And Margaret, sinister music is playing. And you are sort of drawn in because there has been this vibe that Margaret, uh, Mrs., sorry, Mrs. Warboy is telling a story about, yeah, st- things will steadily get worse, as she says. Yeah. And Margaret's approaching Victor with what looks like um, a stretchy bit of ribbon rope or something, like a tassel. It's not the tights, is it? Yeah, that's the tights. There you go. That's perfect. Um, thick blue stockings, sorry. Yeah, no, that is correct. It is a stocking. Because when I watched it back, I stupidly didn't, didn't connect the dots. Of course, it's the tights because she probably we, we're painting that we're painting that picture that she's that angry with him that she's going to strangle him with it because of the eerie music because he's sat there looking like he's just minding his own business, and the audience fall forward laughter because she's wrapped it right round his neck, which the camera then pans to Mr. Swaney. And he straight away says the Boston Strangler, and he, you know they've obviously played some sort of charades game. Victor, is, that's it's not helped Margaret's cause, is it? Because she's taken it a little bit too far, probably for a, for a parlour game. She's definitely yeah. physically assaulted. <laughs> probably a method acting. Yeah, Mr. Swain sort of helps himself to another drink, and here comes a fantastic line. When you said he could come round here next time, I didn't expect it to be fifteen minutes later. <laughs> Two bloody hours you Now you will tell me if I'm keeping either of you up. Fifteen minutes later, first of all, Mr. Sweeney, is that like? Do we think he's autistic? Taking something think, literal. Yeah, like I said, we've said a few times we he takes everything so face value and literal. Yeah, and definitely something on the spectrum on it. And it's yeah. really, yeah, it's really sweet actually. But mm. Victor Margaret. Just too polite to turn him yeah. away, which is also sweet, but their own fault. Margaret doesn't seem bothered. She's had a few drinks. Victor 
is Victor. He's, he's, he's just dying to go to bed and he's got his pyjamas, dressing yeah. going. Just... God knows what time it is. It's, well, it's close to midnight, I think. But they're very funny, um, very ridiculous. The more ridiculous these things are, the funnier, obviously. So yeah, fifty minutes, literally fifty minutes. So two hours, two bloody hours of being there. Two bloody hours. Paul Swaney walks back in. He's so oblivious, isn't he? But they continue mm. talking about the Boston Strangler film, and he says, "By you know, you've seen it by Tony Curtis." Uh, Margaret recounts and seen it in London. Apparently, she says that's the one where Victor was sexually molested by a monkey. Not Tony Curtis. So a little mix up there. I think she it's the weird in. Yeah, the weird she says. She something. reminds, it's this thing here where she's like talking about certain anecdotes about Victor's past, which has caused him embarrassment, and she's reveled in it. And because she's had a few drinks, it's, um, it's obviously winding Victor up. I like the bit, that bit though, he's sort of, he's quite likeable, Mr. Sweeney, because even though Margaret's poking fun of Victor and laughing, yeah. when it cuts to Mr. Sweeney, he's not laughing and not joining. No, that, he's, he's like, shown a lot of respect there, actually. He's. Mm. He's sort of yeah. thinking, I'm in your house, so I'm not I mean, going to... Yeah, it's, it's very... He's just, yeah, he's just lovely in the Mr. Swain. He's so lovable, and he's just proven it there by, just by being nice. Victor then connects the dots and realises why, because of the, the anecdote about the monkey you know, jumping all over him, he, he says it makes sense to him why all those biddies were laughing at, Victor, you know, laughing at him in the first scene, or the second scene when he's peeling the banana. Right. Now I know, don't I? Know what? Why all those biddies were laughing this morning when I peeled that banana? <laughs> it's so nice to know that every embarrassing detail of my life has been broadcast to the world by those closest to me. Victor Meldrew, the complete idiot. He's always good for a laugh. Just ask his wife. So it makes sense to us, the audience uh, viewer now. So yeah, he's pieced that together and he realises that Margaret just talks about him behind his back and pokes fun at him. I guess all families are similar. Like you might have that one one person in the family who runs into some bad luck or says the wrong things or is always in the wrong place at the wrong time. And when you get together at family gatherings, they always retell the whole story. I'm that person who gets who's done something stupid in the past or silly or said or got mixed up in a conversation, and it's that's just remembered by everyone, and they bring it up. So I sort of feel Victor's sort of pain there. Yeah, he's just probably absolutely fed up with it at this point. I wonder what he's um. <laughs> he can't just be that day that's led to him being in that wound up. He can't, can't just be a visit to the shops to get the wrong tights or stockings, and it can't just be a few women laughing. I wonder if this has just been looming. I just try and think because surprisingly, unlike a lot of sitcoms, one but the grey sort of there's a quite continuation of little bits and pieces episode by episode. If they're decorating the house in one episode, the next episode they'll reference the decorated. Yeah. Um, I just wonder if Monday morning will be fine. I wonder if he's a little bit resentful of the fact that Margaret lied about him mm. not being Victor Meldrew but being someone else because she went along with it when she was with her friend Meg from the florists. Uh, if you recall he's, Monday morning, and he had to like. He wanted home. to come clean, didn't he? He, he wanted to come clean twice, and she kicked yeah. the hats and she. Grabs him by the salad tongs, raises yeah, it. That's it. Salad tongue. <laughs> and I wonder if he just like, for God's sake, can we, I just want to tell the truth once, but maybe it's just a little bit of a build up from that. I think I think as well because they're both like, obviously not retired; they're just between jobs. But um, mm. they're home all day together. I mean, yeah. that would try. Margaret's definitely part time, isn't she? She's definitely part time. Yeah. I don't say definitely; we don't know for sure, but she's around an awful lot in the day, isn't she? Yeah. Um, I mean, 
I imagine a lot of married definitely, you know, me and the missus. I think if we were home all day together, yeah. I think I, I would annoy her. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, me, mate. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, she's a little bit giggly, drunk a little bit, depending on your view on it. But it can be slightly irritating. If you're in a bad mood and you're the person you're with is just a little bit giggly, drunk, not really taking into account that you're a bit annoyed and not really in the situation. And again, like bit. the fact that Victor doesn't put anything on, you know, it's, it's on his face how he feels. Yes. Yeah, he's not afraid to, he won't hold back now. So, yeah, he has a little rant at Margaret. And that ends the scene, you know, as she's giggling and sort of falling to her side on the sofa. And um, yeah, that's where you said Mr. Sweeney's looking a little bit awkward. And he probably thinks, yeah, maybe I should go home. So, the next, I assume it's definitely the next day. Close up of Margaret doing her makeup in the mirror. Victor sort of strolls in through the back door. And Margaret's clearly been wondering where Victor's been. He's, he's obviously got to not told her where he's going. So that's already a bit of a passive-aggressive move right there from Victor. And he's looking a little bit more intolerant. He slaps down the tights. So he's gone to town to make amends, probably to prove a point, to collect these tights that he was supposed to get. And he just, he just sense now something's not right. He's a little... Yeah, it's intolerant. Also, trying to find a street map. I don't quite know why at this stage. And Margaret just mentions also that she's been on the phone to her mum. She thinks that her mum, her mother thinks the world's coming to an end on Saturday morning. And do they want to buy her electric kettle? <laughs> bit of comic <laughs> relief added in there as it was getting a little bit tense, if you like. Her mum's another good sort of character you never mm. see. Yeah. Um, These in other episodes, there's, there's some quite funny lines from. Yeah. From him, especially you know the the video, the tape recording. Sorry, the the answer machine. Yeah, she's it's quite that, clever. It is very clever, and it's clearly Annette Crosby's voice, isn't it? I assume yeah, it's Annette yeah. Crosby's voice. I think it is. Yeah. But I, my grandma, past few years ago, she, I think she had a couple of conversations with our voice now. Answer machine. So answer machines were relatively new in the night. Well, almost brand new. I think early nineties, weren't they? Late eighties, early nineties. So you can understand mm. a generation of person back then not quite getting it and yeah my grandparents a couple of times they left they left this long-winded message thinking they're talking to uh, us i think like i think we've seen at the start last how i sort of got into it was through they were actually my great-grandparents at the time but i can remember like my, my great nan leaving messages on my she couldn't work out phones but she'd leave quite a, a long sort of voicemail in a posh voice oh yeah um, but I, I think it was sort of relatively you know new technology then yeah, I think so. Because I, my grandparents got me into this. They absolutely adored it. Like, hearing my grand now just weep, like absolutely weeping, which helped promote it to me because it, it sold it to me. She made her laugh. Like, and, you know, when I watched it as a young boy, like, I probably didn't get a lot of the references, but it did, does draw you in as a sitcom. And Victor's yeah. is a very, very funny main character. And Margaret is a equally funny, in my, my opinion. Yeah, um, she grows. As she, I think you mentioned before, she grows as she um, as the series go on. Yeah, it's she's just, not just supporting Victor. She, you know, she's her own yeah. character. I think it's the same for lots of sitcoms. Any any sitcom, that first series is always a little bit different to the you know, series two onwards. Is always that much different. There is the odd exception, like The Office and Forty Towers are two sitcoms I can think of where they only two series, and it's mm. very consistent. But maybe, yeah, maybe even with that, I think. Polly, though, I think Polly did grow a bit in the mm. like the first couple of episodes with Polly. She seems to be a bit, I yeah. don't know, not sort of shy, but she seems like she's not opening up. 
Um, yes. And then the, the other, the later episodes, you see she's, you know, she's brilliant. Common, isn't she? Yeah. But I wonder, oh, it must happen with you know the actors as they get comfortable in the role. It has, it has to be. They've got to find themselves, haven't they, in that, in that particular role. But I guess because Forty yeah, Towers and Office only did two series, they if they did six or seven, they might have changed dramatically. But it obviously mm. worked well enough. But yeah, like we were saying with Dad's Army, when we, I mean, they did probably was it seven, eight series, or perhaps yeah, yeah nine years worth and about sixty, seventy, eighty episodes. I think by about the fourth series, they were just writing jokes for the actual actor yeah, you know it was, it's just yeah. for the idiosyncrasies of the actor rather than almost know, the parody act. of itself wouldn't it but it's still really good yeah, it's still, so, yeah, yeah. and it's still they showed Dallas Army every Saturday didn't they BBC 2 or BBC 1 and yeah I'd love it if they did that one foot but they're, they're obviously not I, I think a lot of people would be a lot of younger generation would, would sort of come over to it and yeah enjoy it yeah I think so I think so uh, God, that's a nice bit of digression there from us. That's really good. So Victor, he's got his street map and he he's looking. He's he, he wants to replace the the, sh- the shoes. He well, he did have a pair of shoes. He's got one single shoe. So he's found that someone was selling some almost new black shoes. Um, he found it on a card in Sainsbury's. He's going to a Magwitch Crescent, and then he says he'll nip into town after to buy a Nolan and sweater. What are you looking up? I saw a card in the wall in Sainsbury's advertising a pair of black shoes. See what they're like at any rate. Magwitch Crescent, right. Then I can go up to town to buy that Noel Edmonds sweater. I see. Just to be obstinate, you're going to pollute the environment with that eyesore, are you? Off a knitting pattern from hell. It's a wonder the girls who handle them aren't given safety goggles. You wear what you want, Margaret. I'll wear what I want. Margaret doesn't have to give him a hard time. He has mentioned Noel Evans before, I think, in yeah. the context of clothing, because, well, I think Margaret has. So they've they kept it quite consistent here. She really doesn't approve of his no, the way his she clothing. describes it. Just to be obstinate, you're going to pollute the environment with that eyesore, are you? The knitting pattern from hell. Yeah, it's a wonder the girls that handle them aren't given safety goggles. So, slightly harsh banter. Um, Do you think David Renwick was a fan of Noel Edmonds? I just assume that any remark against any uh, actor, celebrity in this, he probably has a little thing about yeah. them. So He's maybe- a bit of a sort of theme as well. I, they, sometimes he refers to like political things and he's, yeah. he seems very anti-Tory. Yes. I think there's another one he, he says about Giles Brandreth as well. Mm. He sort of splates him and you sort of get... Yeah, get yeah I, I get that theme. Yeah, I definitely get that theme as well. So for once, I've, I've, I've mentioned that Victor speaks up for himself. You know, So he says, you buy what you want, I'll buy what I want. That sort of closes the scene and Margaret a little taken back probably she might she generally might have been so i say joking but just a little tongue-in-cheek with her comments but she's rolled it up the wrong way and, and we're, we're brought to magwitch magwitch crescent i don't know if it's a real place i didn't bother to look it up but um it's the same day i assume mm. at this point their listeners have put my fan on in the background it's 30 degrees and it's 29 at night so Unfortunately, you might hear this in the background. 
and I think Darren's got his, but we needs must complete this podcast. It's tonight. so Otherwise, hot. We'd have, to, we'd have to do it like 3 a.m. when it's 15 degrees. <laughs> um, but yeah, apologies, that's okay. So yeah, Magwitch Crescent, and we're, at, we're arrived at a house belonging to fairly uh, old, but feels like a pensioner, played by a lady called Damaris Heyman. Yeah. And she also starred in Rearranging the Dust, uh, which comes in series four or five. Well, I was trying to work out where I recognise her. She, she's, she's in that episode. She's also in The Young Ones. Oh, okay. No, I didn't she's know that. She's in um, the episode called Nasty, and she's, she's in The Young Ones and, apparent, and on the buses. Right, well. okay. Because so, she's quite a distinct, not to be rude, but she's quite a... She's got a, she's uh, got a, a look about her. Yeah. Like, like so, Rowan Atkinson, for example, with his rubbery face. Yeah. So, but, in that. She's in, yeah, she's in quite a few sort of things. Yeah, Filthy Rich and Cat Flap, so she's also got an in there with Rick Mel and Aid Edmondson. Um, yeah. She's the lady that's selling some shoes. Nothing, nothing odd about that. She said how it's quite relevant, this line, but she said she'd only phoned the details an hour ago. And it works quite well, you know, because it is replacing this, this old pair that are no longer. She said her husband just died, so thought may as well sell on his shoes. Again, nothing... Nothing wrong with that. We assume it's probably the, <laughs> a nice little reveal because we see Victor's reaction. It always works when they do it this way. We see Victor's reaction first. Then we see a chap in the chair, a motionless corpse at that point with the shoes on, and she just casually takes them off. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he's he died. Did she say he's been there a week? No, it can't be. No, she, I think she died said it's my husband's. Unfortunately, my husband's just died, that's so, it, so I've got no use for them. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't know why. That's like what you'd think, wouldn't you? I think that's what it implies when she says my husband's just died, and he says, yeah. "Oh, I'm sorry to hear that." And then you walk right. in, you walk in, and in sat in an armchair. Just yeah, it works perfectly with the thing. He's still in the grave. This guy's got two feet in the grave, well and truly. <laughs> and I don't, I wouldn't, I'm surprised that apparently Victor's an eight and a half which is quite relatively small because he's quite tall. It seems like he's tall. Six foot yeah. two. Um, he's eight and a half shoes. He would um, have to be difficult when he's eight and a half. I was wondering... Yeah, he couldn't just be a normal size. <laughs> yeah, nice little detail there, actually. Is there some sort of foreshadowing in Victor's mind that if he were to die, would Margaret move on that quick as well? Like, oh, Victor's yeah, going yeah. to sell. I wonder if he was thinking that. I don't know. But great bit of comedy. Dark as well. It, and his, his face as well, he's just sort of going, hmm? he's just sort of looking bewildered. Yeah. It is all in the acting as well, isn't it? Absolutely ridiculous. But it's something that makes Victor's previous exploits nowhere near as strange. Although they never are that strange, they always appear strange to the outside world, like Patrick. But yeah. Something... Without the context, they, they look odd, but they because we odd. know the context, it's... But this one is literally... She first of all, she's done the distasteful thing of trying to sell something so... I mean, within the hour of someone passing away. And second of all, she hadn't even taken the shoes off him at this point. Again, <laughs> it was only an hour before that, fair enough. But gosh. Anyway. <laughs> Quite cold. Yeah, not as cold as the... Uh, I, I like him. The, him yeah. <laughs> Next up, we are in some some park nearby. Yeah. Victor is sat on a park bench and he's got his man bag. He's got his, his man bag sort of like sat at the one end of the bench next to the bin. He's sort of sat almost the other end of the... He's quite far away from it, isn't he? And he's, I think he's just 
for some reason really cautious about chucking the shoes in the bin, but he just does it and he sort of sits there. I don't know if he thinks he'll be judged or he feels a bit dis like it's disrespectful because it's just someone who's just passed away. There's no dialogue in the scene, it's sort of that one foot in the grave, doom, doom, doom. you know, that sort of funny build up music. Yeah, it reminds me a bit, that scene with the bench reminds me a bit of Mr. Bean. Bean, Mr. Yeah. With, with, with Angus Deaton. With him sat on the bench. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, yeah, there's virtually no dialogue. Yeah. I think he just says nothing like a quick sandwich or something like That's that. Right. And it, <laughs> yeah. it, it looks exactly like it. it looks... Yeah, it's the same shot, isn't it? It's the same bench, you know. But we have a stereotypical looking tramp, hobo, whatever the right terminology is. This is played by N. Rytel, who he was in Who's Listening as the chap obsessed with time telling and held Victor hostage with the Reverend. So, sorry, the actor is now playing tramp, which I, I didn't know that, I've got to admit. Um, so he, the tramp is going through Victor's belongings and Victor doesn't say anything. Victor doesn't always speak up for himself, does he? He doesn't always say, oh, what, what are you playing at? But I think no. he's quite, we have to, we have to, Victor's paint. He's painted in a positive light here because he's letting someone who's not very well off at all go through his belongings and just take what's, what they, what they want, basically. It's quite clever he turns away because the the, the tramp um he starts eating a sandwich or something out of yeah, the Yeah, he calls the sandwich, so he takes the ham out or whatever it is and eats the bread. It's obviously disgusting. And Victor turns away <laughs> and then yeah. starts rifling through his man bag. And he comes across some of the shoes that he's bought. Because yeah, Victor's throwing his shoes away and the the chap tries them on. I like how he the tramp sort of slips into the shoes and he looks quite prim and proper in the moment, the way he Stands, he looks quite proud, and he sort of lifts no. his heels up. But well, that's quite funny. No socks. Uh, no socks. Oh, straight on. Uh, <laughs> and then he, 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 I think he, he's decided he's going to keep those. Uh, why not? They're pretty much new. And then he comes across the bag that, and uh, well, he comes across the bag next to the bin, which is Victor's man bag. So he's, at this point, Victor's being robbed, and he doesn't say anything. The Noel Edmonds jumper. The big reveal of the Noel Edmonds jumper, which is very. I think the Noel Evans is a bit of a signature jumper, really, isn't it? Like, yeah, he's obviously been around for decades, but I guess it was a you always saw him wear that kind of thing. Noel's house party or Noel's mm. Christmas show, whatever he, he did every it's year. It's quite a strange thing to wear when you think about like he was under you know, Noel, uh, the house party was you know, imagine hot studio lights, yeah, crowd as well. Why would you wear a jumper? You know, I guess he just expresses like this is identity, isn't it? I suppose. But it is a bit, a bit mad, unless they have aircon in the studio. But also, I wouldn't. I don't know if he would suit Victor or not. Just wears like long sleeve shirts, don't he, half the time? Yeah. But anyway, so the the gag here is, which is marvelous, is not even the tramp likes the jumper because he just bins it again and walks off, which is, and the way N. Rytel walks off to sort of casually but just somebody that totally dismisses it out of hand is a excellent guy really really good and Victor's thinking what is it about this jumper like he just thought it was his wife moaning at him but clearly not it's a lot, a lot yeah. more than that and I, I assume this is evening time I think it is evening time Victor's cutting up the dodgy loaf of bread that barely using a knife it's like a really blood knife he's using this <laughs> and the doorbell yeah. goes Stay long, but... Right, you are. Bye. <laughs> I love the way Victor answers the door. So, so yeah. So the doorbell goes. Who's um? Who's at the door? 
It's Mrs. Warboys. Mrs. Warboys. This happened a couple of times with the visitors where, quite rudely, they said, Pat, stop. Slams the door back in their face and he just goes off to carry on. I think he generally... I think, knows, yeah, I think he says, right you are, bye, and just shuts yeah. the door. In my, in my mind, he knows what he's done there, but he just can't be bothered. Like, no, because... I think it's there's us. another one as, as well where he, um, he answers the door and these two sort of sweet old women are, mm. are there. Yeah. And they go, good morning. And he goes, goodbye. Goodbye. And the door on their face again. Yeah. I'd love to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I wish I had the guts to. Um, <laughs> it's hard to tell if he's got a lot of respect for Mrs. It doesn't sound like he's got a lot of respect for her. I think when, when, it, when it matters, he looks out for her, but he just ain't got time for anything. But she, she, she persists. He lets her in. And she's come round to lend a recipe book for Margaret. Um, I wonder if the recipe book is a pigeon recipe. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like well, it's just random storytelling there because there's always everything is relevant in one fifty three. I just want to think. The way he's buttering that bread as well, he's quite. Mm. He's sort of just dabbing it on. Dabbing it on. So Victor, he, he responds to Mrs. Warboys and says, you know, I don't know where she is. Essentially saying that I don't care. And it's mm. evening time, isn't it? little bit worried so she kind of helps herself to the telephone doesn't she she goes yeah. into the, the living room we've seen an angle of their living room from the kitchen that we don't see that often <clears throat> like a little bookshelf and she goes in to make a call he's, he's got a lot of low, low self-esteem and he when mrs warboys asks is margaret and victor doesn't really care and he sarcastically responds with perhaps she's planning to sell me off to a circus it seems that's all i'm fit for these days marriage and see why people don't bother with it anymore yes i agree to take this man for richer for poorer in sickness and in health yes. till death do his part when i get a good price for his shoes <laughs> perhaps i'll go tomorrow and throw myself under a steamroller she can use me as a hearth rug when mrs warboys asks for, for margaret he doesn't know doesn't really care sarcastically quips that she's probably doing a, a bbc news night special Peter Sissons on on married life and she's probably spilling all of uh, Victor's embarrassing moments and Mrs. Warbois helps herself to the telephone I see you know just help yourself why didn't you she's obviously that familiar it, it, it's at this moment that he's sort of mumbling to himself and she comes back in all sort of somber there's a bit of sad music that plays and says I just spoke to the manageress at the florists she was still there doing some paperwork. She said, Margaret never turned up for work there this morning. Nobody's seen or heard anything of her all day. The manager says that Margaret never turned up for work today. Yeah. And he looks quite shocked by that. Something's not right here then, is it? She's gone off on a runner. Which scene ends and we fade into back into Mrs. Warboy's gossiping with her, her pals in the, in the coffee shop, in the tea rooms. Naturally, it was a terrible shock. We couldn't imagine what had happened. She left the house at 8.30 as usual. Where could she have got to? Well, for the next couple of hours, we were hardly off the phone, ringing everyone we could think of. Her mother, friends, relatives, neighbors. Nobody had seen or heard from her or anything. By midnight, she still hadn't come home. Naturally, by then we had to call in the police. I volunteered to stay over in case there was anything I could do. But of course, 
There wasn't. Neither of us got a wink of sleep all night long. The morning came round. There was still no sign of her. What happens here on out? There's a montage that plays of Victor and Mrs. Warboy sort of working together as a, as a team, if you like, just to try and get hold of Margaret through friends and relatives and her mother and there's no one knew where she was. And it really does paint a good picture on how dark that would have been for, for Victor. Or you saying that word dark, yeah. but very she, depressing. She draws the curtains it? and yeah, she draws the curtains and brings him a cup of tea and yeah, she's like been really sweet. She's been really sweet to him, and hopefully, it shows Victor that she's got a lot to offer as a friend. Really, she does look out for him as well. She's obviously worried about her friend, and the yeah. clock shows. And, and, and loving the gossip, I think there's a bit of that as well. She loves the drama. Def there's definitely uh, massive elements of that. The clock shows midnight. Police officer around, police lady. So it's really getting shit's getting real. I don't want to say that phrase, but it feels like <laughs> in his world, it's quite serious actually. Mrs. Warboys says a line which is quite, quite sinister -y. And then, it must have been about half past five in the afternoon, I suppose, we got a phone call that just about scared the living daylights out of both of us. Hello? Has she been found dead? Has she been found beaten? Has she... What's happened? And we don't really know. We're not told at that point. It's, if the scene switches to oh i'll tell you what no they they found her raincoat down by the canal that's right isn't it yeah so we're thinking oh, the worst has happened here so if this is for, when you first watched it if this when this first came out obviously we know there's six series and multiple specials but when you first watch this you thought you think it wasn't the grave is a bit weird it's a bit dark i wouldn't be surprised if she is dead so we're at the canal i think this is where the sitcom probably since a couple of times officially evolves with its dark theme now we've got divers in the background jumping into the river. We've got the police officer coming up to them showing her raincoat, which has got a receipt. And we found a receipt in her pocket. So just to confirm it's her jacket, it matched against her access number. What does, he, what does she mean by access number? I don't know. I always wonder about that scene. Is that um, an old way they used to identify belongings? An access number? I'm, I'm, hopefully someone can tell me, because I didn't, I didn't quite know. These days, you just go, if they've got a pound of purse or wallet, you just look at the ID. But mm. access, or maybe it's because it's a receipt, she paid for something by card and there's a security number on there and it matches your bank account so maybe the police did some digging yeah. i assume that's what it is so yeah really really quite sad really you see clip of the police searching the fields and the i thought it was, it was it would be quite sadistic to to bring victor there to watch him do that you think you know mm -hmm. if, if your partner had just gone missing would they have dragged him there to just watch him drag in the river and comb in the countryside and it seemed well, quite harsh of them to do it. I don't know if they would. That's a good point. Maybe they just said, look, here's an update. We found her at the, at the such and such river. And he just wanted to go along to see what's going on. Maybe he felt obliged to, or Mrs. certainly Mrs. Warboys wanted to. But I would imagine they'd have done everything official at uh, the police uh, back in the uh, station, police station. But at this point, Victor just wants to be on his own now because Mrs. Warboys offers to comfort him further. And he, he declines, just wants to be on his own. I think at that point, sure, like I said, Victor surely would know. Not that he's thinking deeply about that, but Mrs. Warboys is a good person and she isn't this annoying like yeah. hag he probably thinks she is. Although, like you said, yeah, she probably is in it for the gossip, but she's still helping him. Uh, evening time now. These, I remember episodes that end in their bedroom. Don't know, it's not, I don't think it ends in their bedroom, but it's like the, every sitcom has that. Like remember even badly if you watch that it always ended with Gary yeah. and Tony on the sofa and it talked like the roundup wasn't it, it was a... yeah the nice that's like, it roundup yeah, there's there's a bit 
it's it's at 1841 you know when mrs warboys answers the phone it just always baffles me how strange she answers the phone and she doesn't say anything she answers it says hello says nothing then puts it down so i yeah i thought thought, wouldn't they ask for victor wouldn't they say can we speak to mr melge or i don't know and and wouldn't she have spoken she just sort of says hello yeah looks solemnly and then puts it down perhaps that kind of learning that kind of news is so to them so bad like the worst case scenario she thought i better just end this call before victor has a a nervous breakdown or yeah you're right it should have been victor's books they did bring his number but she's just taken over isn't she because he's just not with it he's not literally not eating or sleeping he's probably not gonna yeah good point back uh, victor so he's getting he's going to the bathroom washing his face steps into his bedroom and we see plain as day all this night margaret in bed reading a book (laughs) where the bloody hell have you been to why? Were you worried about me? Worried? You, you, where, where have you been? Margate. Where? You know, up on the north coast of Kent. I know where Sonic Margate is. What the hell were you doing there? I, I, I've been police dragging rivers and combing the countryside with sniffer dogs for you. I mean, I, what, what in God's name did you think you were playing at? Before we get into the whole... How crazy is this moment? I always, I always think back to when I first watched this. And I just thought, what have I missed here? Or has before Victor even sees her, I, I, I first thought, are they not going to cover that? And he, he's, she's come back and everything's fine, and they're just going to carry on as normal. But of course, that's not the case. It sets yeah. us up perfectly for Victor's sort of disbelief. You know, when he does that, I, I, I don't. I, well, yeah, the, she's stuttering a bit. Yeah. It's quite. It's good how she got in the house so quietly, she got without him noticing. Yeah, she, she snuck in. He wasn't in the bathroom for long, was it? I mean, was, no. I mean, he, he covers his face with a towel, and he sort of simulates that he may be crying. But yeah, the fact that the he, next, you know. he was in his bedroom. Then he went to the bathroom, mm. dabbed his face with water. She's then, even reading a book. Yeah, she, she, yeah, she, she fast movers. Um, his, his Margaret. And she says, shut the door properly or just flap in the draft. And he says, sorry. Uh, and it's quite sweet, really. It's obviously a little thing they have. Like, all couples have their little... Uh, they nag. Yeah. A little niggles. Nag, don't they? Like, in a, in a playful way. Like, oh, you didn't do this. You didn't. And, um, yeah, that's where we see the disbelief, like, disbelieving Victor or a completely gobsmacked Victor. And so are we in the audience. Like, yeah, like, she's back. Mm. Where have you been? And she's been to... I did laugh at this, but she's been to Margate. Yeah. We're bound to I wonder, sort of, we're bound I wonder to, if she saw a coach explode. <laughs> I mean, by this point, Mark, Jolly Boy's out in 1989, so it's, it's Margate has probably had even more... Um, a much better reputation than it ever did at that point. And the episode's called Dreamland, so that is... she. She's been. She's basically gone to Margate to clear her head like like Victor said, why don't you just tell me? Because we had police out, you know, a lot of time and money has been spent here, and she didn't really give a crap, does she? She really no, does not care. Okay. You yeah. said we've had police dragging, uh, you know, dredging rivers and covering yeah. the countryside, and she's not bothered. It's a nice, you are a relief of Victor. It's like, oh, thank God that she's mm. back, and we can get our old Victor back. It's really nice. But she just had it'd be, to... it'd be horrible without, with just Victor on his own. Yeah. 
I, I don't know how they, they would have gone on, really. It would have been horrible he's, just watching him. He's obviously done the trial on his own as an episode. Which yeah, yeah. Is, but I definitely, yeah, he need, needs his, his wife. He does need to have someone with him, definitely. To, not, he needs not a Margaret. <laughs> we all need a Margaret in our lives, don't we? Eh? <laughs> but, um, yeah, she went to Margaret. Margaret? She went to Margaret to clear her head. And she went to Dreamland. She recounts a really sweet story about her third anniversary. And you took me to that huge funfair place, Dreamland, where a couple of excited children. We got stuck in the Hall of Mirrors for over an hour. The man had to come in and get us. And you said you didn't mind. You were happy to stay there and look at all the reflections of me. At the time, he didn't remember this, by the way, but she recounts that he was loving it because it meant she could he could see her in every reflection well, yeah all the reflections really, of margaret it really, shows he must have been quite a romantic in his youth he must have been quite a bit yeah. you know a charmer and obviously yeah, really, you know, a sort of debate with their if they have a sex life or not but yeah that's always it's, it was like the i wonder what you know why he sort of became the way he is was it something quite i know we look into it quite deep but was it mm. something sad that happened that you know he was well, once quite carefree and then well, I mean, like we say about their child. It's got to be that. It's got to mm. be that. And it's so dark. <laughs> I almost forget that they have a kid. And I, you know, when I um, was reviewing the first episode, I just forgot. And someone reminded me that they did have a Because I thought, did they have a kid? No, of course they do. But the way Margaret and Victor talk about their the child was so yeah. brief. And, and we sort of joined a conversation part way into, mm. like I, I described on the podcast, I felt like you walking in on a conversation that's half done or half completed. Just thought, right. okay. I remember yeah. seeing that. Yeah, I saw it years ago and I thought I sort of misremembered it. Cause I, yeah, I the same with me. I, yeah, was it a conversation where they talk about having a child and how old he'd be now? And Yeah. Because I, mean, I was saying to them, because my partner, Gemma, she watches it. Yeah. Um, I don't think she likes it as much as me because I think she's frightened I'll turn into Victor. But, um, you definitely yeah, will. Yeah. She said about, I think she mentioned, did they have ever have children? Because that, that would be you know normal for them too. And I said, well, they, they did have one, but yeah. it doesn't explain why. But in, Stuart, I think the name was, and, and he, he died. It's I mean, that's name. really dark. Yeah. Stuart Melzer. Stuart yeah. <laughs> it it's really, really bloody dark. And I would bet the bottom dollar that probably is, at least. I, I, I mean, I've got a little girl, and... Also, watching Lion on on Netflix, I watched Lion, it's a true story about uh, a little Indian boy, five years old, and he and his older brother, um, they go out, they basically make a living by sort of doing odd jobs on market stalls and, and, and sort of pinching stuff like coal off moving trains, and yeah. his older brother went out, was going out late into the night to do like a job, and his... He wouldn't let his little brother go go with him, but he did. He got persuaded, and the little boy and the, the brother they lost each other. And the little boy never saw his his brother again, and he was for a few months was quite travelling on his own. Eventually, got adopted by an Australian couple, and then when he was in his late twenties, early thirties, he went on a quest to find his parent, his real his real mum, basically. But I won't say how it ends in case you ever watch it. But I've all forgotten completely why I've just bloody delved into that now. Oh, so what I was saying was when I was watching that, I was thinking any parent, if they lost a child or anyone in your family, 
don't know how you can live with yourself. Uh, and they've lost, yeah, and to them, they, they've lost uh, Stuart, yeah. obviously, probably when they were in their 40s, I assume. I don't know. Really sad. Yeah. Anyway, Margaret said she was sort of pondering, she sat on a seafront pondering her thoughts, and it's funny how the sea can stir up memories because it all came back to her. So we're getting a bit of a closure now on her nightmares. You know, that nightmare. What all came back to you? When I was five years old, we had two budgies that I always felt sorry for, locked up all the while in the same cage. And one day, I tried to let them out for a fly round the room. But one of them wouldn't come. And I got hold of its wing and tried to tug it, but it just kept clinging onto the bars and squawking and just refused to come out of the cage. The other one flew straight out like a rocket, straight across the room, crashed into the window and killed itself. It's quite, again, quite a sad story. It might be why Margaret's often herself on the defensive. And her, she had a teacher, Mr Phillips. At school, we were asked to write a story about something that had happened to us and I wrote my story about the budgies. And the teacher, Mr. Phillips, made me read it out loud in front of the whole class. And everyone laughed. And I knew he'd done it deliberately, just to be cruel to me. Because basically he was a bastard. I don't know how old Margaret is at this point. She's probably essentially only seven, eight, nine, ten. If you tell a story about a budgie, oh, it flew out and just went straight into a window and died. Mm -hmm. There might be cartoons where that happens and you might giggle like Tom and Jerry or something. But anyway, she believes that, that Mr. Phillips, a teacher, deliberately done that to be cruel because basically he was a bastard. And the way she sets that line is so sinister, isn't it? Yeah, so I remember first seeing that as, as, a, as a child. I remember I was always shocked at hearing Margaret swear. Yeah. It's very rare you do, and then mm. yeah, the, the like the emotion behind she it. She means it, yeah. She's got, that's, there's a lot of energy behind that. She was linking. So the next day, she didn't want to go to school, and her mum was like apparently beating her and screaming at her and pulling at her arms and legs, like she come out the door, and Margaret didn't want to leave. And um, because she knew that everything was a little bit like the budgie that was clinging on, she knew that she didn't want to go outside because it's, everything was. Horrible out there. Yeah, that's what. So, again, I think that's what sets one foot apart from you know other sitcoms. He's always got a moral. Yeah, a moral. And, like, and a bit of background to the character. It's not very yeah, sitcoms. You have proper background. Like as massive as Spotted yeah. Towers and the Office is, you don't really know about their background. Fools and yeah. Horses, you know quite a lot because Del Boy always talks about his mum and on the deathbed and Rodney yeah. has grown up. But yeah, one, it's quite good that you get a little bit of background here. But I think anyway, that's what makes a sitcom for me is like the, the, the tiny details that they add in that yeah. you don't necessarily have to, but it, it does make it much better than the average sitcom. And do you, do you think that Margaret's experiences in her childhood led her to think just to settle with, so she, with Victor, it always seems like she's sometimes unhappy, but she realises actually he's really nice. So yeah, maybe he's, he's real, isn't he? He's, real. He's, sort of, he's not, you know, 
Victor doesn't put anything on. She definitely realises that in Series 6, the last episode, where she yeah. has to go at the insurance people or the, the lawyer who's calling her to, to sue against Victor. It's like, made a good point in life, basically. And he was bald, with white hair. <laughs> and I remember thinking, even at that age, how much I wanted to batter him to death. The big reveal was the teacher was a bold, aging man with white hair. Yeah. And you're quite relieved that she didn't mean Victor because you want them to be happy. You don't mind them squabbling. Mm-hmm. It's quite nice when it's one-way traffic with Margaret having to get Victor when it's playful. Because when he's biting back, it feels a bit wrong. Horrible, yeah. Yeah, just, it doesn't really feel... Because the dynamic is totally different then, isn't it? But... Um, so she's quite at peace, isn't she now? And, and she kind of yeah. makes up for it quite because she's traditionally jealous, isn't she, Margaret? And she says, yeah. about this, this fate on Saturday with the, the actress, so give her, have a couple of kisses on me. So she's yeah, saying, that's, you know, that's quite if nice. you want to smooch, go for it because I've been a bit of a bitch, basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, from Victor's point of view, she said it would have sport, it would have defeated the object if she rang when she got there. It's like totally not. Right, but she really, really messed with Victor's head. If she had the problem, it's not like she Victor yeah. did anything wrong. Like if he'd done something really nasty, I get it. But if she's just not in a good frame of mind. It's upsetting no. Victor. She's left, you know, without, you know, a word, not not even a, a quick phone call. No warning. She's come yeah. back quite late as well. I just noticed the clock is is two thirty in the morning. She's come yeah. back. Yeah, yeah it's, I didn't it's a clocker. Yeah, it says two thirty. So I mean, that's I mean, to, for your partner to disappear, go on a coach trip, um, and then turn up at two thirty in the morning. I mean, that is, you know, it's quite I scary. I think he's very forgiven, this Victor, and and, mm. and essentially, it's over a nightmare. And I know it was like a bit of trauma in the childhood, but it's not Victor's yeah, fault. It's not Victor's fault, and he and he, he's 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 been nothing but loyal. Which is nice. All I wondered with that that scene was once obviously Margaret had come back, why Victor then didn't phone the police and say, "Look, she's back." They they both went to sleep. True. I guess. I guess um, at two thirty in the morning. I mean, I would like. I'm with you on yeah, that. Maybe, maybe you go first thing tomorrow. I'll I'll call them. I guess mm. that's the only way you can explain that one, isn't it? And yeah. And if the police are actively searching, yeah, a bit wrong. You probably need to be telling them call the search off with number. It depends yeah. how much they're doing, isn't it? They might stop searching at certain points of the day or night. I don't know. Good Perhaps point, though. They said, yeah. I just thought they sort of soundly go back to sleep. And yeah. in the meantime, there's police dredging the river and <laughs> looking for Margaret. He's probably like, you think Mrs. Warboys would probably have great joy in letting the police know she's yeah. been found, but she doesn't even know at this point, does she? But um, no, that's it. The next scene was we're at this apparent fate, and Mr. Swain is on stage. He's it's a big long introduction to this star coffee commercial actress, glamorous. <laughs> Unfortunately, couldn't be with us. Yeah. Um, Typical Mr. Swainy. Do you think this was a Redwood Digger, someone who'd previously pulled out of act, um, appearing in one foot? Maybe I don't know. It's all speculation. But it just feels like it could have been the time when there was an actress or actor due or due or due to appear in one foot in the grave. Even in yeah. the small role, they pulled out. I don't know. He's a short notice, apparently, is another young, ma- another young lady from a tea commercial. He doesn't seem sure of himself. But then we're interrupted by a chimpanzee 
So because they mentioned tea, do you think it was the old Tetley adverts with the with the chimps? Yeah, it's got to be. I that, think that's is that right. when it first came out? Definitely be round about then, wouldn't it? Because of the camera switches to a chimp glaring at Victor and pounces all over him and undoes his Vic, zip. And Victor looking clapping. quite dapper. He is yeah. looking quite dapper. But when I watched it, I remember watching this thousands of times, I think, growing up. But I always thought the monkey puts his hand into his pocket, but it's not. It's his it's zip. zipper. It's a zipper, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so it's quite quite risque. I mean, <laughs> the, the, fate, the fate does, the big banner does say action for the elderly, like you say. I think that's the play on, is it like basically help the age? But yeah. It's, it's good how they got the, the chimp to the movement as well. Yes. Yeah, so the Victor is definitely really smart. It, it looks like Richard Wilson is in a different program altogether. Even the, the gentleman on the store behind, he's just pointing and laughing. They're not doing anything. <laughs> not helping. The modern equivalents of what those people are doing. So they're always stood around Victor flapping and laughing. The modern equivalent would be some much younger people filming it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, that is a bit of a that is a strange one, but anyway, that that ends almost at the end of the episode, really. But we go back to the the, the coffee room tea shop. There's still time for one more gag. The ladies are laughing at the, you know the story being told, and Mrs. Warboy said that it took three buckets of water. Apparently, like they mentioned, Margaret mentioned about it being three buckets of water to prize off the chimps when they went to watch the Boston Strangler. I wonder why apes do find Victor so erotic. No, I don't know. It's a it's a story. Is that ever referred to again? I don't think it is. Is that you think that like they could probably write David Rennie could have written a sort of running gag there, but I thought the impression the ladies didn't really like her, um, her presence, her company. Um, I quite like how they were sort of laughing at her story and, and Mrs. Warboy's act because I, I felt a bit sad if they just sort of looked at her weirdly and just Mrs. Warboy yeah. left and it was all, but they actually found it funny. <laughs> I quit a dash, as I say. I'd rather all this didn't go any further, if you would, because a lot of it was told to me in the strictest confidence, so all the best to you both, then. Bye. 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 Nice woman. Yes. wonder who she was. <laughs> I don't know her. <laughs> Nice lady, who was she? End episode, and there we have it. Overall thoughts of that episode for this, say, for the context of this for series three. Of what you I know. do, yeah, I do like that episode. I, I've watched it more than I have most other episodes. I think perhaps the only other one I've watched a lot more is um, One Foot in the Algarve. But I, I think that if they'd have had Patrick and Pippa in it, I think it would have mm-hmm. been better. But yes. it, it's still a good solid episode. I mean, it, it lines, you know, it sets jokes up at the start. Yes. And then even at the end, you know, you still, it ends on a joke with Victor getting sexually yeah. molested. But yeah. No, I it's, think it's, it's a good, solid episode. It's a solid episode. It's, yeah, a semi-happy ending. Dodgy use of the word semi there when there's Chimp involved. With his, <laughs> uh, but yeah, very yeah. good. I mean, my summary is here. There's an episode, The Beast in the Cage, coming up. Well, this is the bank holiday episode where he's stuck in the car. This could have been the beast in the cage, but just going by the title, couldn't it? Yeah. There's a beast. Margaret is the beast in the cage. She's a bit of a beast. And, and the budgies. Yeah, and the budgies. To call it Dreamland is funny one, because Dreamland, relevance of this episode is to do with when they went on a, a nice anniversary date. There's nothing to do with, I guess it's all a bit of a dream, wasn't it? a bit of a weird, the way the, tor- the, way the story was told. It's quite yeah. eerie and sets one foot apart from a lot of those comics, especially in the 90s. But yeah, um, there was no real apology for Margaret. Well, her apology like was, you can kiss yeah. the lady 
few times with this celebrity who we don't know who. Yeah, she put a bout of jealousy aside for that, I think. I think she owed him that because she had been quite yes. difficult. Yeah. Well, I thought it was a very brave sequence having one of the main characters dis- disappear and thinking mm. they kidnapped or what's going, going on here. And it's supposed to be a sitcom. So it was quite believable though, wasn't it? it was, you didn't, so she didn't go missing and you thought, oh, well, she's got a return by the end of the episode. Yeah. It was quite believable. Yeah, yeah. Is it Endgame or Caravan episode where Victor goes off on his own? Yeah, again, that's really believable. You know, you because think this at is least he told her. Yeah, I mean, he essentially like, left without her. He, 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 first of all, he offered to take her on holiday. And second yeah. of all, um, she knew where he was. So a bit different, I suppose. Mm. But the next episode will be talk about is the broken reflection and we'll we'll be introduced to a family relative alfred meldrew who is it's quite good to see a relative i think it'd be the only time we see a relative i think got pictures we don't see any relatives of margaret's do we I don't think. oh there's mrs warboy's cousin wilf but <laughs> the wilf yeah yeah we, we never actually see her husband do we but uh, he obviously no. uh... all right well, well let's move on to the meldrew moan So my Meldrum moan, um, wooden beds. I've got a wooden, we've got a relative, it's not old, it's a double, kingside double bed, wooden frame, wooden planks, it's not. My basic, basic moan is, this particular bed I've got, it's obviously cranky and loud because wood just rubs against, the panels rub against the other panels after a while, which is annoying in itself when you've got a little one in the next room. Uh, not, not insinuating anything dodgy, it just is loud. <laughs> Where's this and, going? Uh, where's this going? <laughs> but and there's not like there's two pathetic pieces of wood underneath the bed that holds up the bottom end and the top end of the bed. So if they weren't there, we could easily quite fall through the middle. Although there's like planks of wood that's keeping the, the mattress up, there's like two additional ones. Anyway, they always come off, and I was just breaking an, an absolute bollock trying to put those back together yesterday, and it's hard to get them. It's, it's not exactly a the bed's relatively low. It was hard enough to get under there. Like, I'm not skinny as I used to be. And I thought, we only got this bed, like, three years ago. Not even that, no. Less than two years ago. I just vowed the next bed we get, I just want, like, metal, a metal bed, like, um, just a solid underlay bit. Or, what are those beds called where they're just, like, two large chunks of boxes put together? Oh, the divan beds. Yes, because, and you just link them together with a little metal clasp. Yeah, and, and they've got like yeah. drawers and you can put your stuff yeah. in there. But oh, that, I was definitely like genuinely moaning. I know it seems it doesn't seem like a big, trust me. But oh, it, it's frustrating. There's plenty of things you can moan about in life, but that really was infuriating that night. But anyway, that's my military moan. Have you got anything you want to get off your chest, Darren? I could, pro- yeah, I could probably talk for about an hour. <laughs> but no, it's, it's just, I think it's just the most frustrating thing. It's just, the, the way, yeah, the heat is 32 degrees. But no, it's just um, just like a bit like with Vic, they get frustrated with um, just people's ignorance about they mm. think they're the only person in the world. Like, yeah, you know, people who, who, you know, throw litter or dog ends or and then think, well, someone else oh. can pick that up. I just can't be bothered. Yeah, or, I'm with or you. People are like playing loud music or mm-hmm. yeah, you know, pull, pulling up outside your house with a radio blasting and you think you're not the only person in the world. This is it, yeah. No, I think 
the vast majority would agree with you. The only ones that wouldn't are they might not listen to this podcast, but they probably are the ones that you probably like going out late at night, playing the music loud, dropping flag butts. I've never understood that sort of free pass that people seem to get who smoke, you just flick their fags out the window like it's it's fine. It's almost like they think it's biodegradable and it won't do any harm. Like, yeah, it's bits of paper, but it's the burnt tobacco and yeah. the just the yeah. ignorance. Oh, someone else will clear that up. That, yeah. You pick it up. Right. <laughs> I think, would you be like Victor in... Um, it's where he throws all the rubbish in that convertible. Yeah, well, I was just trying to think. Dramatic Fever, I think it is. But I guess you and... I don't know if I have guts to... I'll I, I tell you what I did today, and it is coronavirus related. I'm just going to get to my own, my own rules here. I was weird. queuing up Tesco, and obviously got the two-meter rule still in place. And there was this young lad, who must have been... 14, 15, and in front of him was an elderly chap. I thought for a bit he was with this old elderly because he was so close to him. He wasn't even trying to stand on the the, the, the labelling on the floor. And I was like, I don't really I'm, I respect the rules. I'm not that paranoid about it all but I still respect the, the rules. I, I, but I did speak up and I just said, oh, are you with, are you with that man? He went, no. I said, oh, I think you need to be still on that, that bit of the line that any, any did to be fair, it's yeah. 50 50 whether they'll go, you want to yeah. yeah. But I'm yeah, glad yeah. I did because he just went, Oh, yeah, and he moved back. But he was just so up close, like, like standard you would in a standard queue before lockdown. So yeah. I, had to, I had to say something, the guy in front of me would have been close to 80. But yeah, that's our Meldrum Moons. Well, that's it for this episode, Dreamland. Hope you enjoyed it. And um, just to thank those who've sent uh, along some reviews, which is really, really grateful. Um, just getting loads, loads of um, funny interaction with some of you on Twitter and Facebook. It's really nice to see. And yeah, you, you, you obviously recommend it to your friends. I think this, uh, this podcast bizarrely got to number one in South Africa in the TV review charts. Three three weeks on the bounce which is like I said I didn't know it had a following there's a there's a yeah chat to Matt who's from South Africa I think it's probably down to you you've probably done a bit of PR for me because since there's some interaction with Matt I realised it got to number one so thank you I don't know it'd just be his down there surely not take more than one download to get to number one in the country but anyway thank you yeah thank you to all the next like I said the next episode is The Broken Reflection where we'll meet Victor's brother I'd just like to thank you Darren for taking the Time of sweltering hot evening to talk all things Dreamland, one foot in the grave. I'd like to have you on That's again if you'd uh, like to join me. Yeah, brilliant. That'd be great. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Tom. That's cool. I've got a few other um, people out there who, who want to come on to the next few episodes. So, like I said, have you got, so anyone, have you got anyone earmarked for one foot in the Algarve? Not yet, but if you'd like to put yourself <laughs> down for it, you're more yeah, than welcome. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, be a good one. Absolutely more, absolutely more than welcome to. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much. And uh, if you'd like to email me, uh, onefootthepodcast at gmail.com. So on Twitter at onefootthepod. Uh, there's a Facebook account. If you just type onefootthepodcast, I'm on there. But there's a couple of good One Foot in the Grave groups that I often post in, which is really good. Some good fun on there. Yeah, that's just about it, I think. But uh, please, if you can take the time to leave a review, it really helps with the algorithms and becomes more searchable and people don't re- realise there's a One Foot in the Grave podcast will. And, or if that's just a British sitcom fan in general, they might want to give it a go. So, th- 
thank you to, to you all that's been reviewing and listening and downloading. You'll hear from me next week. Cheers. Oh, I'm in the grave.